for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion. Read by the author. Chapter 15 is dedicated to Tim Pool, Stephen Crowder, and Ben Shapiro, all of those who refuse to be silenced. As many who listen could guess, I get a lot of my news from these guys, each offering a unique perspective to our current events while stating their obvious biases, but they try to report the facts. Thank you for being champions of free speech in our time of need. Rodriguez and Yulian finally stumble into Rutgersville. The boys meet up at the clinic with the girls, where they find out that Jacob is going to lose his leg due to infection. The surgeon suggests to Rebecca and Lilla to find metal and, and build Jacob a new leg out of it. Balaam and Abigail arrive in town, where Balaam swears he has seen three strangers who are walking on the street before. The last thing I remember was taking my boots off. I had just finished a much-needed bath, came upstairs to my room, pulled my unlaced boots off as quietly as I could. Rodriguez was snoring in the bunk bed to my right, and then as soon as I laid down, blackness of sleep. Now I was frantically cracking my eyes open to find out who was in the room with me. My heart raced as my brain tried its best to compute the voices with faces, but it still filled with the fog of sleep. I bolted up in bed, which caused the four people who had just entered the room to jump as well, and my hand frantically reached for a revolver which I had stashed on the nightstand. Easy there, Rev. It's us. That all-too-familiar, overly-confident Boston voice spoke out. My vision cleared, and there they were. Rodriguez, Finnegan, Lilith, and a girl who still seemed to steal my breath away every time I saw her, Rebecca. They all stood in front of the door to the room, eyes locked on me. The green faded striped wallpaper helped give them outlines of my slowly clearing vision. Rebecca walked forward and sat on the bed next to me. She wore a smile as sweet as honey and her blue eyes stared directly into my heart. Are you hungry? I could definitely eat, 
my voice croaked with sleep as I talked. Good. I've got the perfect place picked for all of us to eat. Rebecca gazed upon everyone. Rodriguez smiled and spoke up. Sorry, I'll have to do a rain check. Preston, Lucas, and myself are going to check out the Peppermint Pony tonight. Thanks for the offer, though. Lilith spoke up. Her voice was filled with worry and shock. You guys are going there? You sure you want to go there? Do you even know what goes on there? Rodriguez shrugged. We only plan on doing a little bit of drinking and a little bit of gambling. We don't plan on paying for any company or that nonsense. They use misery magic in there, Lilith exclaimed. That stuff is very powerful and very alluring. Not to mention extremely addictive. You go in there and you may come out broke or worse, not come out at all. Lilith. Rodriguez rolled his eyes. I appreciate the concern and all. I'm a big boy. I can handle myself. He then turned and looked at Finnegan. You sure you don't want to come? Um, I'm going to go help Lilith look after Jacob. Finnegan nervously answered. Well, suit yourself. I'll see you all later, but don't wait up on me. Rodriguez gave me a nod, then left the room. Well, Finnegan and myself will be watching Jacob tonight, so why don't you two go have a nice night together? Lilith said with a big smile appearing on her face, although you could see in her eyes, worry. My guess was that she was worried about what everybody else was worried about. Jacob. Lilith, Jacob will be fine for a bit. Rebecca started, then seemed to realize that it would be just the two of us, or at least that was my hope. That sounds lovely, thank you, she quickly added. Well, Finnegan, let's go check on my brother, shall we? Lilith turned to Finnegan, who upon having her full attention, turned bright red. Uh, y y yeah, uh, let's, uh, l uh, go. Finnegan trailed off in a stutter. She smiled, and then they walked out the door, leaving us in a quiet, awkward, yet wonderful silence. We both sat there for a moment, the sound of stillness mixed with our rhythmic breathing. Tension in the room built in a way that released butterflies into my stomach and made my heart beat hard against the ribs in my chest. I swear Rebecca could hear my heart, but it was probably just my thoughts. My voice now shaking like Finnegan broke the silence. Uh, where do... I cleared my throat and tried to speak again through a dry mouth. Where do you want to go? Her voice still rang like the sound of a sweet brook. I saw this lovely little restaurant not far from here. I believe it's called Antonio's. Would you like to go there? It would be my treat. <laughs> you can't pay on our first date, I objected. Her voice took on a playful note. Our first date. My voice again shook with slight nervousness. Well, yeah, isn't it? I turned to look at her, which just made me more nervous. How can such a beautiful creature have eyes for me? It was a weird feeling to be so nervous yet so excited at the same time. It reminded me much when I was a boy about to jump off a rocky ledge into the swimming hole for the first time. She gave me a sly smile and a playful look filled her eyes. I was never asked out on a date. I jumped up from the bed and struck my most heroic pose as I could think of. My lady, would you like to accompany me on this fine evening for some dinner? Rebecca laughed and her eyes smiled in a way that made my heart full. Why, good sir, I most certainly shall. Antonio's was a nice little restaurant nestled next to the butcher's and a small shoe shop. The inside looked larger than the outside gave away. Small round tables draped in red cloths and decorated with mason jars that had floating tea candles gave the room a dim but warm glow. A man in a white dinner jacket stood behind a lacquered wooden desk. The place looked to be busy, but the restaurant was not packed to the gills. The man in the white dinner jacket smiled. Table for two? 
Uh, yes, please, I answered. Right this way. He turned into the main dining area and motioned us to follow. Wow, I feel so underdressed. I had no idea it was fancy in here, Rebecca whispered into my ear. I had no idea either, but you still look stunning. I whispered back to her as I pulled out the chair for her. Our food came in a timely manner as we made small talk. What started out as nervous conversation about silly odds and ends soon gave away to a more deeper, meaningful talk. Odd how we'd been around each other for some time now, but, but the setting of an actual date made us nervous. Yet we had talked that night in the stable, but here, without the threat of death, conversation flowed in a manner that was more reserved, but not guarded. I dabbed a napkin at my mouth, trying to make sure there was no sauce on my face. So, what is it that you did at your job? Were you like a secret agent or something? Rebecca chuckled. No, everyone who works for the Office of Interior Defense is called an agent. Really, I was more of a scientist in the strategic magic working department. Uh, we were working on ways to make metal weaving strong enough to build and create tanks, tractors, you know, stuff like that. So how does that work? Wouldn't you just have a stronger weaver make it tough enough to take the abuse without falling apart? I asked. Actually, it can make it worse having a stronger weaver do it. So think of it like this. Noodle. She lifted a red covered strand of angel hair from her plate and began pinching it. When I mold it or manipulate it, in a way, it creates weak points. The more pressure or power I use on it, the more it creates weak points. Then when another force comes along, she picked up her fork, placed it on the noodle and gently pressed. It becomes more brittle and falls apart. So every time you weave metal, it weakens. So like a piston for a steam tank engine would fall apart if it was weaved together, I asked. The look of excitement and passion on her face was contagious and it piqued my curiosity. So, how are you guys going to fix that? We took a few lessons from those who can weave fire, water, or air. They are not so much as pinching or breaking those elements, but guiding them. Our plan was to do just that. The idea was to take metal that was heated up into a liquid form and guide it, much like casting iron. How? Don't you have to be touching the metal in order to manipulate it? Your hand would be scorched off. True. But think back to the night we met how I moved parts of the steam tractor that I was not in touch with. As long as I'm connected with metal that was connected to other metal, I can manipulate it as if it is in one piece. Sir, would you and the lady like any dessert or perhaps another glass of wine? The waiter, who had been quite attentive, was now making his rounds. My eyes shifted from the young blonde man to the beautiful woman before me. Rebecca, would you like anything else? Oh, I possibly couldn't eat another bite. I'm stuffed, she smiled at me. Just to check them, thank you. I nodded at the man, then turned my attention back to our conversation. So why not just stick a long piece of metal in the liquid and weave like that? If only it were that simple. We tried that with no luck. It's like trying to shape water without being a water weaver. The high heat and the way the molecules react, it's almost near impossible, Rebecca then smiled brightly. However, we began to train with water weavers while we used mercury. We were just on the edge of a breakthrough when I had to leave. Why did you have to leave? I asked. Well, Rebecca began, but was cut off by the waiter. Here's your dessert and the check. He placed a leather-bound folder and a piece of spice cake on the table. Confusion filled my brain. We didn't order any dessert. Oh, I know, but this was sent over by the table over there. The waiter lifted a well-manicured finger, pointed at the table in the back. There sat a woman, pale white skin, 
black dress and rose-colored glasses. And across from her was a man who wore a snake-like smile and whose face made my stomach lurch. I recognized him from the night we left Boston. If you're looking for a podcast that dives into deep Hollywood, dark Hollywood, deep state, reasons that the church needs to be stepping up their game, or you would like to stay up with some current news that isn't covered by everybody else, check out Talking with Gabe, a podcast produced by Gabe Hogan's. We have to go now. I abruptly stood, forcing my chair back. As it scraped across the ground, my eyes met the snake-like man's glare. Without breaking my stare, I dug into my pocket and pulled out a gold coin. Here, keep the change. The waiter's eyes grew big. Why, thank you, sir. Yulian, what's wrong? Rebecca scrambled to her feet and grabbed my arm as we rushed out the door. That man is from the night we escaped Boston. He's the one that charged at us and tried to kill Finnegan, Rodriguez, and me. Do you remember? Uh, Vaguely... Where are we going? Our hotel is that way. Rebecca began to lift her hand to point, but I quickly pushed it down. Shh. Don't point. And don't speak too loud. He could be following us, and I don't want him to have any clues of where we are going or where we're staying. I opened my stride, which caused Rebecca's steps to quicken to keep up. She slowly turned her head, trying best to use her peripheral vision. Then she gasped. He is. What are we going to do? I looked around the street, plenty of people still wandering the streets, although it was getting dark, so time was against us. Just walk with me. Is he alone? Uh, As far as I can tell, yes, Rebecca whispered. I didn't see anyone in black robes, but neither was the serpent-like utopian wearing one. The opposite hand of Rebecca I placed on my hip as inconspicuously as possible. A breath of relief left my mouth as under my shirt I felt the hard handle of my revolver. Now my brain was on overdrive trying to think of a plan. I couldn't go back to the camp or the inn for help. That would lead him to know where we were, and if he left before I could handle him, he could come back later and cause more problems. Shooting him in the streets was out. No marshal would simply allow me to live after shooting some man in cold blood, even though I knew how much he deserved it. If only there was a way to know if there were more utopians around. He was with a woman, but she was nowhere in sight as far as I could tell. We're going to confront him. I tried my best to make my voice as confident sounding as I could, but it came out more strained than anything. What? Out here in the streets? What if there's more of them? Rebecca whispered with heavy alarm. I took a deep breath. That's why you stand behind me and keep an eye out. See if anyone starts paying attention more than they should. Also, keep an eye out for the woman who was sitting with him at the table. Rebecca squeezed my arm. I don't like this. How, how am I going to tell? I squeezed her arm back in a way to convey that it would be okay. I know. But this way, we will at least have a better understanding of what we are up against. So just, I don't know, look for something out of the ordinary if someone's more interested than they should be. Ready? I guess. She let go and took a few steps ahead of me. I turned abruptly and saw the snake man jump just a little. Apparently, he was not expecting this, and it was painted all over his face, which was good, so I took a few steps to close the gap between us, but not enough to give him any kind of advantage of space. Hopefully this would unnerve him by being so bold. So where's your date? My voice came out firm and cold, but not loud. I did my best to seem normal to any passerby and only draw attention to anyone that might be with him. If we were lucky, someone would out themselves and Rebecca could take note. My 
Date? The snake man chuckled and regained some of his composure. I guess she's... is now dining on your dessert you rejected. Quite rude, by the way. So why are you following me? I stated frankly. His snake-like smile melted a bit. It seems he was not expecting me to come out and ask directly, and he began to stumble over his words. I merely wish to... to, uh, talk. To apologize. For what happened in Boston. Then do it already. Now his face formed a frown. He was not expecting me to say it, or was disjointed that I was not playing the game like he wanted. I turned abruptly around, and this time caught Rebecca off guard as she jumped a little. She reattached herself to my arm, and we walked briskly. He's still following us, she whispered. I know. Did you notice anything? Rebecca's voice crackled from stress. I don't know. Most people looked at you two, but no more than one would at a commotion on the street. All right. I think I got a plan. It was a simple plan, yet it banked on the fact that Balaam was alone and that he would not expect unprovoked violence. We would circle a block of town that was less occupied, then find an alley that had an entrance and an exit, lead Balaam into it. Rebecca would take one exit, and I would wait by some, I don't know, obstruction for him to come walking through and then jump him. Rebecca hated this plan and did her best to argue how stupid it was, that we were not 100% sure he was alone or that the woman was with him and not somewhere nearby. She especially hated the fact of me jumping him. In her words, she said it sounded very utopian, which rubbed me the wrong way. First off, it's not utopian behavior, I said, heat coming off every word. It's called war. It's called winning. This isn't a war. This is Rutgersville, not some combat ambushy thing. She bit back at me, matching my tone. Also, it's not winning if you end up in jail and the group leaves without you. Keep your voice down, I looked over my shoulder. Balin was still a block behind us. After our last little conversation, with he had given himself a nice little buffer. Besides, we can't keep this chase game up all night. He has to be dealt with. Rebecca copied me and looked over her shoulder. Even if you jump him, he's still going to go looking for us. Or the marshal, and then he'll find us. Not if he's dead, I said coldly. She gave me a cold glare. So you'd kill him in cold blood? Am I with Yuliam or Rodriguez? It's not cold blood. It's self-defense. And speaking of Rodriguez, I really wish he was here because at least he'd help me hide the body. Rebecca let go of my arm that she had been clinging to. I'm not doing this, Yuliam. Think of a different plan. That's the best I got, and he needs dealt with. You think he wouldn't kill us off given the chance? She looked me dead in the eyes, and I swear I saw flames dance at her pupils. I'm not doing this. Fine, I snapped back. You come up with an idea, then. Look over there. See that saloon? Her eyes shifted from mine to the ratty old building on the corner. Yeah, what about it? I huffed. Rebecca's fiery tone transformed into a more pleasant but still headstrong voice. We go in there. You hide in the corner somewhere, and I'll stand at the bar in view of the door. Naturally, he'll see me and come to me. You go tell the bartender, or if they have some sort of security person, that he's bothering me. Then he gets thrown out. I did my best to contain the heat flowing out, but it still leaked. I was frustrated and scared. Frustrated that this was supposed to be our first date, and it turned into yet again another life or death situation. I wasn't scared for my safety, but Rebecca's. I couldn't live with myself if something happened to her. 
And the very thought of that, it made my guts churn. Balaam, well, he looked more like a twig than a fighter. And the only reason it had been close the first time is because he wasn't alone. He had six guys to our three. I was more afraid that I was going to screw something up and Rebecca would be harmed. And it was clouding my mind that Balaam would find some way to get to her. First off, I'm not hiding in a corner. Secondly, we don't even know if that place would take care of you being harassed. I mean, look at it. It looks like a place a low life hangs out at. Rebecca walked in front of me towards the saloon. You would be surprised how even low lives stand up for a pretty girl. Now come on. The saloon smelt of beer mixed with sweat and tobacco smoke. Most of the tables looked to be well-worn and a few were even broken, like someone had been thrown through it. The ones not broken had hard men gathered around playing poker or liar's dice. The bar was packed to the gills with glassy-eyed men who had had far too many drinks and a few hard-looking women drinking shots or sipping beer. Some laughed at jokes while others argued in slurred speech that was barely understandable. As far as security went, I was a little relieved to find two barrel-chested men who sat at the door and eyed us going through, both bald and most likely twins, except one sported a beard and the other a handlebar mustache with a goatee. Rebecca, without hesitation, walked up to the bar as if she had been frequenting this waterhole for some time. Being as pretty as she was, especially compared to the rest of the people, she got plenty of looks and a couple whistles, but paid no mind to them. An older man, with a dirty face and the build of a bull, smiled at her and offered her a seat at the bar next to him. He said something to her, but I couldn't hear anything over the commotion of the slurred yelling. Rebecca sat on the old wooden bar stool, looked back at me with an all-knowing smile, and nudged her head towards a corner as if to say, go over there. I hated this, but I did as she suggested. I found an old table that was not completely broken and had one serviceable chair and sat. It gave me a good view of the bar where Rebecca was still talking to the man, and I could also see the door. Not more than a minute went by, and the snake man slithered inside. He scanned the room, and luckily he saw Rebecca first and not myself. He started walking to her, but stopped mid-step, then scanned the room again. My guess is that he was looking for me. My brain rushed into overdrive, trying to think of what to do. If he saw me, the plan might not work, and he could just head straight for me. Although that idea resurfaced in my head that at, that at least he would not be heading towards Rebecca, and maybe I could lead him out and take care of him the way I saw fit. Yet, before I could really think of what to do, a large woman stood up and blocked me from his sight. The snake man reluctantly walked up to the bar and right behind Rebecca, tapped her on the shoulder and gave her that stupid, slimy snake smile of his. He started saying something to her, but she waved him off like an annoying fly. Even though I hated this plan, I had to admit, Rebecca was handling things quite well. She was as frosty as they come. The snake man tried again, and I began standing up to be a, a good little tattletale before I could close any distance to the bouncer. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw that the bearded man who was sitting next to Rebecca stood up. His face was red from anger and his mouth open. You best leave my girl alone! He roared, words slurred. The snake man looked at the other man, confused for a moment, then waved off the bear, who refused to be ignored, and pushed him back. The snake man's gangly body flew back and crashed into a table of a group of men who were playing cards, sending cards, chips, and beer flying into a big crash. What the hell? A man in an old brown duster stood to his feet, beard dripping off of him. Another man, as big as the bear, grabbed Balaam with two giant paws, picked him up like a rag doll, and shoved him back at the bear man. You owe us for drinks, and you owe me three gold coins. I was about to win that hand. His voice came out slurred and drunk. 
I don't owe you shit, the bear man roared back. Then the drunk man went to throw a punch at the bear, but missed horribly due to his drunken state and crashed into the man on the other side of Rebecca, knocking him off his stool and spilling his drink. I knew as soon as that man stood up, I had to get Rebecca out of here because this place, well, it was about to explode into a full-on bar brawl. Curse words and fists threw through the air like seagulls swarming on a, an abandoned picnic. Three times I had to duck or weave out of the way of a body being shoved or a punch that missed its mark. The security guards for the most part had their hands full trying to throw fighting drunks out of the bar and would be no help in my quest to get Rebecca out of here. She had wisely jumped over the bar when the opportunity presented itself and the bartender who said nothing to her just looked then went back to polishing a glass and dodging flying beer bottles as if this was just a normal day of work, which in all reality was probably a normal day at work. I was almost to Rebecca when Balaam stepped in front of me and he looked a little worse for wear. His left eye was beginning to swell and his nose was dripping a bit of crimson. He must have not been as quick to dodge as I was. He had his normal nasty snake smile on his face and he stared me down and lifted a broken beer bottle. The jagged glass pointed at me. Wow, you really put forth an effort just to apologize to me, I said, voice dripping with sarcasm. His snake-like smile grew bigger and his eyes twitched. You were the one who punched me in the throat and messed up my voice. I raised an eyebrow. My hope was to come off as condescendingly as possible. And it looked to have worked as his smile faded and his face twisted into rage. I knew I had pressed the right buttons to get him to attack me first. Yet this town was so corrupt that they wouldn't care that I'd killed him in self-defense. So for now, killing him was out of the question. Although in the back of my mind, the thought whispered in my head that I would regret not taking him out. I did, however, need to at least knock the lights out of him. My options were becoming limited as he was now in full lunge at me. Broken bottle pointed at my throat. Luckily, he overcommitted and by shifting my weight, I leaned and was able to dodge the dragged amber glass and use his momentum against him. I raised my left arm up and right into his armpit and lifted and thrusted my hips in one fluid motion that sent Balaam over my body and to the floor. I saw my opportunity to rend this beer bottle hand ineffective as it was still in his hand while he was trying to push himself up. I swung my leg around causing my body to face him as he was still on all fours back facing me, lifted my heel up and brought it down onto his hand that was clenching the bottle. I could feel the bone and glass break, then the throaty yelling of pain filled my ears. He launched himself back onto his butt, clutching his hand and yelling obscenities. It may have not been the most chivalrous thing I have ever done, but this was a fight and I was not a knight. I spun a sidekick that landed to the side of his head and it stung my toes. I was off balance and probably didn't land the kick properly, but it did what I wanted. It caused Balaam to stop yelling and sprawl out as he was out like a light. I didn't have long to be proud or ashamed of myself as two fighting bodies collided with mine pinning me to the bar. I shoved with all my might and sent the two brawling men forward tripping over the lump in their way that was named Balaam. I leaped over the bar as graceful as one could who had just had the wind knocked out of them and probably a few broken toes. So graceful was probably not the best description. I landed next to a crouching Rebecca who looked oddly calm for the fact that she'd been in the middle of a bar fight. So I think I'm ready to leave. This place has lost its charm. I smiled at her and looked around. Yeah, but how? The whole floor is covered in testosterone pumped idiots and broken furniture. I yelled over the noise. Hey, 
I looked at the bartender who was still trying to complete his duties despite the storm of violence. Is there a back door or something we can leave through? The man looked around at the commotion and sighed. Ugh, follow me. We had doubled back a few times to make sure no one was following us, but we're finally only a few blocks away from the inn. Rebecca, for the most part, had been quiet, but held my hand tight the whole time as we walked. So, was that the worst first date you've ever been on? I said, trying to lift the mood. She looked at me and gave me a slight chuckle. In all honesty, no. I've had much worse. Remind me to tell you the time I went to an aquarium. I chuckled back. So does that mean I'll get a second date? Hmm... Yes. She wrapped her arms around me and held me tight. I held her warm body in my arms and and leaned my head on hers. You okay? Yeah. Her voice crackled. I could tell she was on the verge of tears. I just... I just want life to go back to normal. I placed my lips gently on her forehead and then lifted her chin ever so slightly so our eyes met. I know, ever since Boston, things have been hard, but we'll find normal again. It didn't start that night. Normal has been gone way before all of that. Her eyes darted down from mine. She then took in a deep breath. There are things you need to know about Lilith, Jacob, and me. I just don't know if I should tell you. I don't even know if I'm ready to. Are you afraid that it might change things about how I feel about you? No, well, maybe. It's just this information is also dangerous, or at the very least it was. Or maybe it still is. She looked back up at me. Tears were softly spilling from her eyes. Well, you can tell me whenever you're ready. Until then, I'm right here, beside you. I then pressed my lips firmly on hers. At first, I was worried that maybe I was being too bold or my timing was wrong for a kiss like this. Then I felt her body melt into my arms and she began to kiss me passionately back. The slamming of metal broke our trance with each other. I spun Rebecca around behind me with one arm, and with the other I drew out my revolver. Whatever was to come from that alleyway, I was ready. But an orange cat came running out of the back alleyway, scampering away. Easy there, cowboy, Rebecca giggled. It's just an alley cat. I continued to stare. For some reason, I felt as though eyes were on me, like they were peering into me. Then a strange thing happened. A memory from the war popped into my head. It confused me. There was no reason for it to come up out of nowhere. And then as soon as it popped up, it was gone. And so was the feeling of being watched. Come on, we better get back. I'm sure the others are starting to worry. Rebecca grabbed my arm and led me to the inn. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 15, A Third Wheel an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Tune in November 7th to find out what happens next in the story. Want more information or news? Follow us on Facebook at A Better Utopia Facebook page. Feel free to also email or message us with questions, comments, and we're always looking for those who would like to advertise on our podcast. So a good place to contact us is in the email description below. Thank you guys for listening, and leave a five-star review if you would.